As we begin tonight, I want to, first of all, welcome you back and thank you for being here. I know it's probably been a a long day. Uh, I want to warn you tonight, there will be no special lights going off, nap time during the sermon. I know several of you took advantage of that this morning. Maybe your preacher did as well, but we will not have that tonight. Um, I also want to remind you that uh, to, to, if you have thought about or decided what your Northside Lights ministry will be this year, to sign up tonight. It's an easy time to do it. Uh, as you will remember, there are four ministries that you can sign up with, and we'd like for you, each family, to give prayerful consideration to signing up for one of those. We'll send an email out tomorrow to remind you, and you can also sign up that way as well. So please do that. And the third thing I want to remind you is, uh, hopefully you saw the posters, but next uh, Sunday, a week from tonight, the York College Concert Choir will be performing for us uh, here at 6 o'clock. So the concert will be here, in here, and I think they probably are still in need of some folks to host some kids and have... uh, Uh, Kids back to the building on Monday morning. Uh, If you need more information about that, get in touch with Sonny Banning. He can give you more information. So we're grateful to the York College group that comes through here. We've had many York alumni here at Northside uh, and over the years. So we're grateful to uh, let let them bless us with their talents. And uh, uh, I think it's the first leg of their tour, and they kind of go throughout their break and uh, it's a good it's a good performance. If you have not been, you would uh, enjoy it very much. This morning I mentioned New Year's resolutions, uh, which is um, I don't know sort of a mixed blessing. Uh, I personally kind of go all or nothing, as with most most things in my life. I think I've shared with you the year I made something like 22 different resolutions, and uh, yeah, I mean you know go big or go home is my theory, but. Um, the problem with New, Year, New Year's resolution is just one thing. Actually, it's not a thing. It's a, it's a person. It's the, the person who you see in your mirror every day. Uh, that person has to want change, has to desire to, to do things differently to achieve the results that you want. And that's always the big hiccup. It's, it's not usually about... The diet, I mean, all the diets work, but the person in the mirror has to decide that the person in the mirror is not what they want to be in order to change. Okay? So that's the big hiccup. And you think, well, that doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but it really is. It's why you make resolutions every year. And in about seven or eight days, you'll have broken them. I don't mean to be too negative, but... Uh, So that's tonight what I want to talk about. This sermon actually was intended to be as a part of our unswerving series that we did all in 2016. Uh, And then we had some interruptions and Christmas and all of that. And I thought, man, I really want to preach this sermon. But it's sort of, it's so last year, you know. So, but then I thought, you know, with with the day that, this sermon takes place on, and this, the thing which people are thinking about, the changes they want to make in their life. How's the new year going to be different? What's going to be different? Uh, how are my goals going to be different? How are my values going to be different? It, all of that that we think about as we reflect on the past year, uh, I think this sermon will be helpful. 
uh, with hopefully some of the things you're mulling through in your mind. So uh, I would tell you the series verse, but we're not going to do that because uh, we have a different verse tonight. But hopefully Hebrews 10.23 is well uh, imprinted in your mind. Our theme verse tonight is from Ephesians chapter 2. And that verse is where we're going to be, so you can turn there. Uh, but it, if I reflect back on all the resolutions I've broken, it usually starts with two words uh, as to the reason why. It's but I. You know, I meant to lose the extra 50 pounds. But I really like Chick-fil-A. I, I, I meant to read more books, but I binged on Netflix instead. I, I really wanted to be a more intentional father. But sometimes I got caught in a rut. Right? So it, and And I think the same is true for you as well. Whatever you're... Resolutions or your intentions were this time 365 days ago. If it didn't change, if you broke the resolution or whatever, uh, my guess is that excuse starts with the two words, but I. And it does a lot of people in this time of year. It does a lot of people in, in their walk with Christ. I meant to. I intended to. I wanted to. I needed to. But I fill in your excuse. When you follow the words with the words, but I, it rarely ends well. The problem, whatever it was, either wasn't help, wasn't addressed, or you offered some sort of flimsy excuse. And that's just the thing. When you are the solution... It's not usually going to end well. In Scripture, there's a different phrase, and it has a very different effect on those who, uh, whose lives surround that phrase. And the phrase, of course, as is on your slide, is but God. Those two, two simple words are peppered throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament narrative alike. They are the story in two words of God's redemption. Of what you and I couldn't do. Of what all the heroes that we talked about last year couldn't do. Where they all fall short. Where we all fall short. You can change that whole perspective with those two simple words. But God. Every time we read those two words, what follows is a beautiful, fantastic, wonderful, amazing story of our God. And the work that he does. But God, those two words are so overflowing with the gospel. There may not be two more inspiring and hope-filled words than those. It's true for the characters that we studied last year. But more importantly, it's true in our lives as well. But God. And we think about some of the people who have been affected by the words, but God. We can make a list. You don't have to. There we go. <laughs> we can start with Noah. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, if you want to follow along. 
The scripture there says this, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. And we were done. We were, we were, the earth had been cleansed literally and spiritually. But God remembered Noah. The story wasn't over, you see. The story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 31, verse 42. <clears throat> the scripture reads, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the father fear of Isaac, had been, not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. He didn't forget Jacob. Even though he, he quite absolutely struggled with God and gave his people the name Israel, which means the one who struggles with God, God didn't forget Jacob. God didn't forget Joseph. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, the scripture reads, You intended to harm me. Joseph there speaking, of course, to his brothers. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It all could have ended with Joseph's family dysfunction. In every other way, that story came to an abysmal end from the brothers' perspective. But Joseph reminded them what he had learned the hard way, is that Joseph hadn't forgot him and Joseph, uh, sorry, God hadn't forgot Joseph, and God had not forgot his brothers either. But God. The story of David in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 24, uh, verse 14, excuse me. David stayed in the desert strongholds, and in the hills of the desert of Ziph, Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. When you have that co-worker who isn't quite as bad as one of your Old Testament enemies, but pretty close, I want you to remember God has not forgotten you. God didn't forget David, and God wasn't going to allow him, his anointed one, to fall into the hands of his enemy. Regardless of how much of an upper hand he had. Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 4. The scripture reads, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is no adversary or disaster. God saw Solomon through a lot of things in spite of Solomon's many choices that led him away from God. God delivered him as he had his father. The prophet Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2, verse 6, the scripture reads, To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath me barred in forever, but you, but you, O oh God, brought my life up from the pit. Maybe 2016 was one of those really bad ones for you. You just think, I, I hit rock bottom and then I went a little lower. You remember the story of Jonah. God remembered. God remembered Jonah. He brought his life up from the pit. He rescued him from the place that he chose to go. But he did not forget him. Jesus was 
the words, but God in the flesh. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Acts chapter 2, verse 24. Peter preached, but God raised him from the dead. Freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Acts chapter 3 verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. But God, and the whole thing is that regardless of where these characters were and how far they had fallen and the choices that they had made, God did not forget them. God remembered where they were and God redeemed the story. And because of him, because of Jesus, because of what he did, we get to be a part of that story too. We, when you think about how you're going to share your faith this year, you've given any thought into that? The the people with whom you will share your faith, friends, neighbors, family, co-workers, are you praying over those dear souls who do not know Christ? Or does that just simply fill fill you with fear and dread and you just think, I can just ignore that command? To go and make disciples. You say, I don't even know where to start. I don't know enough. I'm not knowledgeable enough. I, I just don't. I feel so incompetent. Listen, all you have to do is tell your story and come to these two words. But God. That's what I love about Celebrate Recovery is, is that you get to hear how God worked in their stories. That, can, that happened then, and it happened now. And I hope you'll give prayerful thought and consideration to where that happened in your life. And be willing to share that with meekness and fear. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope that you're able to, to share your story and in some form or fashion get to, well, to get to Ephesians chapter 2, which is the verse we want to look at. Now, you may or may not be able to read this on the screen But here is what the Apostle Paul says to that beloved church at Ephesus. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you used to walk. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, um, uh, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, we were by nature children of wrath, 
We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If any nine verses so well describe the gospel story for them, for the characters of the Old Testament, for Paul, for us, it's this right here. But God, he changed the narrative. He changed the story. He fixed, well, I mean, the first problem was simply this. You, Ephesians chapter 2, verse, uh, I think it's 8, I'm sorry, 6 says, have to advance it for me, guys, sorry. The problem is that you were dead. This really helped me understand this. It's not that you were dying. It's not that you were struggling with a sin. You were dead in your sins. This picture that uh, I got came to me from studying John Piper's uh, study of Ephesians chapter 2. And he said, imagine this. Imagine that there is an island. And a ways out from the island is a man who's in the deep water. And he can't swim and he's struggling. And he's in the process of drowning. That's how most people envision themselves before Christ. And that Christ, standing on the edge of that island, took a, a preserver and tossed it to them so that they might grab it themselves and pull them in. He says, now imagine that same man in the deep water, not struggling, not in the process of drowning, but drowned. He takes his last breath, his lungs fill with water, his heart stops, he sinks to the bottom of the murky depths. And Christ, from the island of the living, swims out to the dead man and dives underneath the water and grasps him with his arms and drags, drinks him up, drags him to the surface pulls him ashore and begins to perform CPR with all of his strength and might and breathes into that man his breath and his life and works so feverishly at the process of reviving the man that it cost him his own life. That is what you were. You were dead 
in your transgressions. There was no hope. You were DOA. There was no chance at revival. A dead man does not revive himself, nor do those who love him most dearly, regardless of how passionately they wish to do so, can revive a man who's dead. But Christ and Christ alone raises the dead. He started with himself and then everyone who followed. He raises dead men and women. And when we understand the problem is that we were dead. No, not in the process of dying, but we had already died. We were dead men and women in our sin. Doesn't that change how you look at the world around you? There are dead people walking around. They are dead in their sins. They have no hope. And you can't revive them, and they can't revive themselves. It is only one man who can do it. The Lord Jesus Christ. When you understand that you are dead, or that you were dead in your transgressions, it changes the whole story. All of us, as the scripture says, were by nature children of wrath. The NIV says objects of wrath. Completely unable to do anything substantive to save ourselves from our grave state. Dead children of wrath do not become fully alive, spirit-led, loving children of God without His prodigal grace. And that's the fix. That's the fix. The whole Back to the whole two words. God, but God. Made us alive. If you're following along in your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because this is fantastic, the way Paul describes it to those Christians there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 7. Paul says this. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings... You will also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly, utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I'm not sure if you've ever been there, but Paul says we were to a point where we didn't even desire to live any longer. We were in total despair. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us on Him. We have set our hope. You and I take that for granted, that we serve such a living God. And, and it's so, it shouldn't be. 
It is so unusual. Every other religion, you know, you, you meet that God and you die or you make a sacrifice and you kill something. Our God raises the dead. He raises the dead. He brings life from death. It is the same God who raised Lazarus. It's the same God who rescued you, who is going to pour life into those yet who have yet to be born again. Oh, I mean, that's exciting, or it should be to you. The God, the God that we serve, regardless of, of the seriously grave state we are in, He's a God who raises the dead. Which means, of course, that there never comes a point when there is no hope. We, we never write a person off. We never give up on them because... God raises the dead. And he makes us alive with Christ through the cross. Colossians chapter 2, going back there to verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Do you understand what's happening when someone goes into these waters and they go in here? It is not a person getting wet. It is a dead person becoming alive. That's the power of God. What's happening there is so much deeper and more profound that we'll ever understand. Think back for just a moment to that day when you were immersed into Christ. What the Word says is that from a spiritual perspective, that was the moment when your soul, lying lifeless and dead, all of a sudden went, and life came from death. Dead men and women rise because of the power of God. Let us never, ever take that for granted. That what happens in here or in a lake or, or in a river in, in a Colorado mountain stream is that God is raising people from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It wasn't by our efforts. It was by his power that he made us alive, that he raised us from the dead. And by the way, if you're here tonight and you have not been obedient to the gospel... You can be made alive. You can be raised from the dead. But in order to be raised from the dead, you have to know that you are dead without the living blood of Jesus. These two words, but God, remind us not just of what God did back then, but what he's doing now. And that is, he's given us a gift. Next slide. We were given a gift. 
By grace you have been saved. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't achieve it on your own. You were given that. Just like probably about a week ago, you received several gifts. And, and maybe some you wanted and maybe some you didn't. But I can guarantee you if they were truly a gift, they were given to you without expectation. You didn't earn them. You didn't deserve them. You didn't achieve them by your own merits. No, they were given to you. God's grace is getting more than you deserve. God's riches at Christ's expense is far more than you ever could possibly deserve. It is illogical. It's incomprehensible. It's inconceivable. The immeasurable riches that God poured out on us in Christ. We are immeasurably forever rich and blessed because of what Jesus did. Once we were dead in our sin, but God made us alive. Once we were captive to Satan, our enemy, but God made us free. Once we were children of wrath, but God has extended the riches of his grace and kindness toward us. May we cherish and rejoice forever and ever those two priceless words, but God. You may feel you have too much baggage. You may think you have too bad of a story, too many sins to overcome, too much to be forgiven. And you may well be right. But I just have two words for you. But God. God has a plan. But God has a solution. But God has a gift. But God is going to do the absolute most that he can do and that is he's going to send himself to go beneath the waters to breathe life into dead men and women and if you're a a dead man or woman tonight i implore you do not spend one more second on the face of this earth as someone dead but let christ pour into you his life and may you forever Come back to this time when you can testify with fullness and honesty that you were dead in your sins, but God made you alive with Christ. Now, after next week, we will have our series and we're going to be studying the Gospel of John. There was an overwhelming demand For a textual study, and by that I mean two or three people asked me for a textual study. So if you don't like textual studies, uh, come find me and I'll tell you the names of those two or three people. Tonight, please, if you are dead, you can be alive. And our goal at Northside is to help dead men and women become alive again. Not by what we do. Only by what he did. If you're ready to become alive with Christ, won't you obey him? Won't you come? Won't you just turn back from everything you were, despising it, and let God nail it to the cross, and let your life be reborn of the water and the Spirit that you might testify to those two beautiful words, but God. Whatever your need is tonight, you can come.
we'll help you. I'll meet you down front. Just take that step as together we stand and sing.